just you close it with the instrumental. Hello, hello. actually learned it, so no pad. Yeah, no pad guitar. Oh, it's going to be gorgeous. There is zero instrumental tracks for this. I'm just saying. <laughs> So, yes. No. But they will take communion, and then Bob is going to, right, Bob, my understanding, they will take communion, and then you're going to ask people to, in, to have a moment to digest this song while we sing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the lights will be dimmed. Yeah, ours can be totally. We can take the spotlight off of here. Um, oh, that's true. Okay. Did you want the lyrics up for this, or should we just do no lyrics on the screen so that people can not be distracted by reading? I don't think people will sing along. No, especially for that. Yeah. Because we're going to introduce it then. Right. Yeah, and I'll introduce this. Okay. Yeah. Because it makes it easier. Okay. Try it. Yeah. Just about whether we should have the lyrics up for this ministering song. This will be one that they won't be singing on. And if it's distracting to look, be looking at lyrics instead of having a moment where you're just really listening and focusing. So. Yeah. I think so, let's too. Let's play it through and let's... Can we do the chorus? Oh, the fine, sure. Yeah. Okay. You don't need to change the slides. We're just going to... We're going to do one last chorus thing real quick. You don't need to change anything, though, Carolyn. And then we'll come back to He Touched Me. Okay, so um, the last three choruses you're saying? Yeah. Okay.
Yes? I want to take them off, I think. D vacillating back and forth. Yeah. Let's, let's do, do the, that last the last low chorus. Okay. Well, let's do the intensity. Do that intensity. Okay. Thank you. 
actually okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me welcome Reverend Bob Carden. Thank you. Isn't that a beautiful song? What child is this? If only the world knew the answer to that question. But we do know the answer to that question, and we can share it with people. I was thinking during the time of prayer this morning, more than one person prayed about God's peace, and that's a pretty common theme around this time of year. But when you think about it, True peace in your life is not going to happen with the absence of turmoil. It will happen with the presence of Christ. And that's what we're looking for. So what child is this? Jesus Christ is the touchstone of all that is good that could ever happen to mankind. It is through Christ and Christ alone that we have a relationship with God, a promise for eternity, but not just a promise for eternity, a promise for a life today that can be blessed and abundant. What child is this? More importantly, what man did he become? And that's a question the disciples asked after they observed Jesus stilling a storm. It's in Matthew chapter 8. I'm hearing a hum, John. I'm not sure where that's coming from, but it's not me, okay? It wasn't something I ate this morning. But, but Matthew 8, 27, this is after Jesus stilling the storm. He says, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? What sort of man is this? How is he different? And the answer to that question begins 
when you start considering the records surrounding his birth. Now, the birth of an individual is never the high point of their life. They're not doing anything noteworthy at the time of their birth. But in our culture, the birth of a person becomes a focal point for remembering their significance. But it was not that way in the ancient world to which Jesus was born. In the ancient world, people didn't mark the date of birth. They marked the point of accomplishments. And we're going to see this a little bit later. That's why it's all the more surprising that God devotes so much ink to the time surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. And I say the time surrounding it. God records for us in pretty great detail about 30 months. It starts with the announcement from the angel Gabriel to Zechariah that John the Baptist would be born. Six months later, that same angel Gabriel goes to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus Christ. Nine months later, he's born. And about 18 months after that, the Magi, the wise men, show up in Bethlehem to honor him as king. So just 30 months. But what went on in those 30 months is critical to understand if you're going to know what child is this, if you're going to know what sort of man is this. And for people in the ancient world reading this, it would be puzzling. What's going on here? Why does God do something so totally out of sync with what their culture would expect in a biography, spending all this time around their birth? And the records of Jesus Christ's birth, the records around them, are significant for two very critical reasons. The first is to document that Jesus was qualified to be the Messiah. We first have to establish that this man, this baby, can grow into our Messiah. But you see, in this regard, the big news from God's perspective is not his birth. The big news about what child is this is his conception. Take a look at Matthew 1.18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, ordinarily, we don't have to discuss much about how births come about. We all kind of, we're adults here. We all know how births come about. Not this one. This one is different. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. In their culture, that pledging was more than an engagement, but less than a marriage. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You know what that means in a biological sense? That means that God created the sperm that fertilized the egg within Mary's womb. So there was an act of creation to bring about the Messiah, but there was also a connection to humanity, a connection to Adam, because Mary provided the egg. For, the, for a man to be the Messiah, if he was going to lay his life down as our substitute for sin, that man had to be sinless just like Adam was. Sometimes people say, well, Jesus was the only sinless man. Not true. Adam and Eve were sinless when God brought them forth. What do you think? God brought forth damaged merchandise? 
So there have been two, two sinless men and one sinless woman. But there's only one that stayed that way. There was only one that stayed true and loyal to God. And you have to understand how he came about. Because I look in this room, I see a lot of nice people. I don't see any Messiah material. Okay, that's, that's not what I'm seeing out here. Good people. Jesus was different. He was different from the moment of his conception. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. God had it all figured out. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. And that word favored means grace. God's goodness was upon this woman. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said what angels usually say when they show up, which is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You will conceive in your womb. Not you and Joseph once you get married. You will conceive in your womb. Now, Mary was probably only, she was no more than 15. She could have been 13 13 to 16, let's say. But she knew how babies come. And she knew that that's not the way babies come. But here we go. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, named before his conception. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Why? Because this child was different. Mary was to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She doesn't understand this yet. So in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I mean, I can just hear, okay, okay, it's all well and good, but okay, how's this going to happen? It's a good question. It's a legitimate question. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, from God's perspective, the most significant thing in that 30-month period was the conception of Jesus Christ, far more important than his birth. The conception of Christ is why Jesus is both different and significant. God does not record it for our celebration, for his birthday celebration. We are not entirely sure exactly when he was born. The most probable candidates are in early September of 3 B.C. But we don't really know. It wasn't given so that we could throw him a party. God records this so that we could know who this man was, that we could know what child is this, why is he significant, what could it mean to me? You see, to redeem Mankind from the sin of Adam required a sinless sacrifice. Now, making humans is really easy. 
we make lots of them. Making sinless humans, not so much, okay? But God, again, he had it all figured out. Jesus was not the son of Joseph and Mary. He was the son of Mary and God. You see, the Pharisees thought he was the son of Joseph and Mary. That's why they accused him to be illegitimate, because they knew Mary was pregnant before they got married. But Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph and Mary. God was his literal and physical father. This conception was so important that God records details of it in two of the four Gospels. His birth, as we'll see, was only recorded in one of the four Gospels. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting variance. So the first reason we need to understand what child is this, we need to understand these birth records, is to know that Jesus was qualified to be our Messiah. A second reason that God records so much about the birth of Christ is to show us that a better life can be ours because of this babe born as the Son of God. We need to be shown that Jesus is our Savior once. Once you say, okay, great, he's qualified, you can file that information away, right? But, what, but understanding his impact upon your life, that's something we need to learn, to remember, and most importantly, we need to live in light of Christ. He changes everything, if we'll let him change everything. He said later in his life, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's today, folks. Too many Christians are looking for the future. Future's going to be great. But because of Christ, so is the present. Marking the birth of Jesus Christ is not simply remembering something that happened in the past. It is acknowledging something that can be true in the present, something that we can look forward to today. So let's just take a look at this birth of Jesus. It's only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2 In verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. The reason for that census was to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Augustus being emperor. Remember I told you in the ancient world, he didn't have a birthday celebration. They celebrated him becoming the emperor. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's one of the markers in the Bible that give us a time range of when Jesus Christ was born. Verse 3, And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth, which is in what we would call northern Israel, in Galilee, and he went down to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. In their culture, if you were going to register your birth, if you were going to register in a census, you did so in the town or the city that your family was from. So that's why he had to travel. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. Now, just when you read this, think about what it says. She didn't have Jesus the night they arrived in Bethlehem. That makes a nice story. 
but that's not what it says. While they were there. So let me ask, those of you women among us who have had children, would you like to spend the last several days of your pregnancy in a barn with oxen and donkeys? That's where Mary was. I've seen the moms going, no. I didn't even like being in my own bed. (laughs) How simple is this description of the birth of Jesus Christ? Simple and straightforward. Now, to those at Bethlehem, Jesus and Mary, and now their baby, they were just among the crowds that were coming to Bethlehem to register for the census. They were not noticed. They were not cared about. There was no room for them. Apparently, they arrived late to the party, so they got to stay in the barn. We find out later in Matthew, when Jesus was about a year, year and a half old, they had actually moved into a house in Bethlehem. Took them a while to get that. They were basically ignored by those around them, who were much too busy with what was going on. God, however, did take notice. And like any father, he was blessed and proud. And he makes a stellar announcement of the birth of his son. It says in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. Mary wasn't terrified. She was puzzled. These guys were terrified. They're out, and it's, this is before streetlights, folks. It's dark outside, and these angels appear. And what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. When God shows up to do something, do not be afraid. It'll be outside of your comfort zone. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. The good news, if it is believed, will cause great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, everybody knew that meant Bethlehem. It's like if I say the, in the Big Apple, you all know I'm talking about New York, City of Broad Shoulders, that's our Chicago. Town of the city of David, town of David, they all know that's Bethlehem. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, here's how he's describing this. He is a Savior. Well, that's a term that could be applied in many ways. The Maccabees were considered to be saviors of Israel from Syrian oppression 150 years earlier. Not only is this man a savior, someone who's going to effect our rescue and our deliverance, he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, and he is the Lord. God is declaring him the Lord, which means God is bestowing upon this baby authority. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Swaddling clothes are just strips of cloth that were symbolic in their usage. They were dipped in salt. They were only on the, excuse me, on the baby for a short amount of time. They were symbolic of purity, of truthfulness, of integrity. And so they're only going to be on it for a short time. So if these shepherds are going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, there's only a narrow window of when that can actually occur. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. God's favor rests on all those who look to him through his son. See, the birth of Christ represented to us access to God. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And without Christ, the best your life is going to be is unfulfilled. That's the best. Doesn't matter how well you can decorate your life, without Christ, the best you can look forward to is unfulfilled. But the promise and the hope of joy, of deliverance, of a Messiah is still ours to receive. It starts with receiving the love that God gave to us in his son. Remember in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, we have an answer to the pain and despair that so many people endure. Today, people end up with ruined ruined lives, with unfulfilled lives, but there's so much more available in Christ. Our destiny is not death. Our destiny is eternal life. I want to look in Matthew 16 to answer the question that the disciples asked. What sort of man is this? What child is this? At his birth, what sort of man is this? In Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people, what are people talking about Jesus? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, who had since been killed. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. A lot of suggestions about who Jesus might be. He then repeats, well, who exactly do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who do you say Jesus is? That is the most important question any man or woman can ever answer. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and because of that, your life can be changed. The start is that we choose to believe something that God has already declared about Jesus Christ. You don't have to come up with something. He has already stated some things about Jesus. Do you care to agree with them or not? God declared at his birth that he would be Lord. What do we declare? God declared he was the Messiah. What do we declare? Romans summarizes this for us. See, people say nice things about Jesus. They say he he was a great teacher. He was a good moral man. He was, both of those things. He was loving, you bet. He was a prophet, some even say. Yes, but all of those things, even though they are true, They are not the whole truth or even the most important truth. And that's summarized for us in Romans 10, 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, the word confess, 
we kind of think of that as a police procedural, okay? I got you into the question room. Do you confess? That's not what this word means. What this word means is to speak the same thing. Do you agree with God? Do you agree with God on this? Do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? You do that, you will be saved. All we're doing is confessing something that God has already declared and done. He was declared Lord at his birth. Will you let him lead you this afternoon? That's really the question. Let's use the birth of Christ as a focal point. Not to celebrate a birthday, although I suppose, what is he, 2,022 years old this year? (laughs) That's not the point. The point is, what does it mean for our lives? What did he accomplish that is of significance for you? That's why I want to close this morning by having us together share in communion. That was a memorial that Jesus Christ instituted. He did this so that we could not remember when he was born, not even remember what he did, but remember what it means. So if we could have the ushers start to come around and distribute the bread and the wine. If you would prefer grape juice to wine, the wine is red, the grape juice is clear. God gave us communion, which that word, by the way, simply means to share. We share in what Christ has done. Most people have heard of communion, at least in America. I want to share with uh, you a little bit of the true measure of what it really means. If you have a Bible or something, why don't you just put it under your chair, okay? If this is the first time you will have ever shared or taken communion, I'm blessed for you. It is a memorial to Christ, and it carries with it a remembrance of all that Christ has ever done. And it carries with it more than most Christians. Even Christians for 50 and 60 years don't really understand the significance of what Christ has done and what we're remembering. So I'd like to share with you why we do communion and what communion is. Remembering Christ isn't remembering and reciting events that went on in his life. It is remembering what it means. And the bread and the wine show us this. They are symbolic. They represent something. The bread represents his body, which was broken so that yours can be healed. The wine represents his blood that was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And I want to read with you a record, a short one, about something that happened during an encounter with Jesus Christ. And to get the most out of this, you have to understand leprosy in the ancient world. Leprosy in the ancient world was a death sentence. And according to Scripture, anyone who was a leper was unclean. In fact, when they walked through the streets, they had to announce so that before I got too close to Garrett, I'd be saying, unclean, unclean, so that he didn't come close to me. Because if you touched someone who was unclean, you became unclean yourself and had to go through a purification rite. And once you understand that, then you're going to get this encounter with Jesus a little more. I'm going to, it's recorded in several of the Gospels. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5. 
It says, while he was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered or full of leprosy. So it was far along. This disease had progressed far along. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, or if you are willing, you can make me clean. Interesting about this man. He knew that Jesus was able to make him clean. He didn't know if Jesus would be willing to make him clean. This is a man who had been rejected his entire life, who people would turn and run from his entire life. He knew the Messiah had power, but that the Messiah, was he willing? Was he willing to make him clean? And what has Jesus said? Lord, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. He did the unthinkable. And he said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So here's the difference. In the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, you became unclean. In the New Testament, if a leper touches Christ, he becomes clean. Where do you need Christ to touch you? Where in your heart and life do you need Christ to touch you? Some of us carry scars from our past. They could be emotional scars like guilt, regrets, and shame. They could be physical scars. They could be diseases or other sicknesses. You may be thinking, you may have been taught that you have to live and that you are stuck living the life that you made for yourself. You ever hear the saying, you made your bed, now sleep in it? Not in the scriptures. Not in the scriptures. You're not going to find that in Proverbs. If you have ever thought that you have to live the life you've made for yourself, I have some really good news. And that is that because of Jesus Christ, you can live the life that he has brought to you. When you took Christ as your Lord, you opened up the door to a new life. And instead of reaping what you have sown in your past, you can reap what Christ has sown into your future. Right at this very moment. And I'd like to have us all share in communion together. I'm going to pray, and then I would like you to first take the bread and then take the wine, and then Jessica is going to minister a song to us. And as she does that, it's not so much a song for you to sing along, it's a song for you to consider the impact of Jesus Christ on your life. So, Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us such a clear and tangible way that we can be reminded of what we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as we take this bread, we can take to ourselves healing because Christ was bruised so that we could be healed. I pray, God, that as we drink this wine, we can understand and believe that we have been cleansed from sin. And that when you look at us, you do not see a sinner. You see a holy one, God. And I pray that as 
we take this communion, we can allow Christ to touch our hearts, our souls, our bodies, and our lives, God. And I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Please take the first the bread and then the wine. And I'd like you just to enjoy this song that Jessica is going to sing for us. You can close your eyes if you like. But consider the words to this song, which is titled, He Touched Me. something 
Isn't that beautiful? He touched you. And that touch stays with us. God wants us to live a life that is a glory to him and a blessing to us and all around us. I'd like to close from 1 John chapter 4 in verse 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. Remember we considered John 3.16, for God so loved the world. This is his motivation. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I want you to live the life that God has called you to. To live the life that he sees when he looks upon you. And that is a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of victory. I'd like you all to please stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close with a song, Raise a Hallelujah. So, Father God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for sending your Son to be our Savior, to rescue us, God, and to set us on a path of a life with you. And, God, I ask that each of us here today tomorrow and always, can remember that we have been touched by the blessed Savior. We have been touched by the Master's hand, and we are no longer the same. And I thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.